This is the Living Numbers Podcast with the one and only Tony Rambles. This is the Living Numbers Podcast, and I am your host, Tony Rambles. And obviously, if you're watching this on YouTube, I have somebody here with me, and you know, you know how we do. I have to do an introduction. He has not heard this. He does not know what I'm going to say. Don't know. But it's going to be great. But first, we have to do some housekeeping. I would say pay some bills, but I'm not getting paid yet. <laughs> One day. But I'm sure you still got bills that need to be paid. I do need to pay some bills. But... Make sure you guys like, subscribe, download, follow, share. Uh, if you're on YouTube, make sure you subscribe and like. Throw some comments in there. Uh, Apple, make sure you rate, leave five stars. Um, show some love. Show some love. Okay, follow me on IG at underscore Tony Rambles underscore. And if you want to leave a topic or you want to communicate, you can send me an email. One. Tony Rambles at gmail.com. Now that that's out the way. Let's do this. All right. Here I have the master of these obscurities in life. Hailing from Charlotte Amelie. I don't know if I said that right. Where he's become researcher of all things Virgin Islands. Six-time author. Boomer Sooner. Husband, father, and worldwide traveler. U.S. Air Force veteran, Sergeant Enrique Carnero, but his friends call him Rico. All right, somebody done that. There we go. Yeah, say hello. So I wasn't expecting that. There we go. See, see? And um, I was actually, uh, I'm like, dang, I think he went to Oklahoma. I'm pretty sure. So when you came in today, you had the OU shirt on. I'm like, okay, yes, I don't have to change that mark. If you had like a different shirt on, I would have been like, oh, okay, let me go back and do some editing. Uh, but my friend here, Rico, uh, we've been friends since, I mean, when did I oh, come man. to your 20, was it 2015, I well, think? you actually went to school with my daughter. Right. So that goes back even right. further. Shout out to um, Ebony. Yeah, there you go, my baby Ebony. But uh, we actually worked together for a mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, we're not here to talk about work today. We're not at all. We're about much more important things <laughs> in life. So I just remember like meeting you and you were like just, just cool. It was always kind of laid back, but it, you were always like, always had people coming in and out. Like you were always working, but like nothing ever really got to you. At least you didn't show it. You know, so I'm like, man, that guy's so cool. So we would just, I mean, we would just talk. Yeah. Y'all know me. I'm a talker. I have a podcast. Yeah. This is what I do. So we would just talk. And over the years, even when he left the bank and I left the bank, we just continued to keep up and we would have these lunches. So we would have a lunch anywhere. It didn't really matter. And we would just sit there for hours, hours on matter. end. It yeah. didn't matter. Uh, so as you all see, I've been doing this like for a while. Um, and I want to start with something that's kind of general, but I have, I have my number. Y'all know what time it is. We got to get to the first number. Okay. Uh, I was, uh, looking on Spotify and I have playlists. 
I have like an old school playlist. I have a gospel playlist. I have playlists with just instrumental music on there. I got like, I don't know, maybe eight different playlists. And I was listening to a playlist maybe a week ago, a week or two ago. And it had this button. This was on Spotify. It said enhanced. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? So I clicked on the button. And this is where my first number comes in. It gives you, it adds 100 song enhancements to your playlist. So it just adds 100 songs based on what you listen to. And I was like, that's, man, that's pretty cool. So that got me to thinking, like, what are some new things that are happening or some new things that I'm looking forward to in 2022? Yeah. You see what I did there? Okay. All right. So uh, I know you just did something fairly new yesterday, right? What's that? You went to a coin, what a, a, a money show. That's what it's called. A money show. We all like money. But I'm, I am not surprised. Because this guy, like, he just does stuff that nobody, he's like, what? Wait, what? What is that? Yeah. People like go and buy and sell money. Okay. Yes, please, please. Money is an interesting thing. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's anything that people see value in. Yes. And uh, some things like a U.S. dollar, you know, there there's backing where they have supposedly a certain amount of gold or assets backing it. Right. And then there's things today like Bitcoin. Yes. Where there isn't necessarily anything mm-hmm. backing it other than the fact that it guarantees your privacy. Right. So. Did you get in on the Bitcoin? I Did don't you kind of? Bitcoin is going for probably forty thousand dollars. Woo! Point at this time, yeah, and that's say five uh, years ago when I was back at um, uh, Chase. It, it was a couple hundred dollars a coin. And um, for those who aren't really familiar with what it is, uh, it, it's one of those things to call a cryptocurrency. Uh huh. And most of the governments in the world don't like cryptocurrency mm-hmm. for a number of reasons. One, they can't track it, they can't monitor it, mm-hmm. and, but most importantly, they can't tax it. Yeah, there you go. And the people in the the dark web or the underworld, yes, elements, people that are involved in things like drugs and terrorism and prostitution, all kind of things, all like kinds that, of stuff. They they find it very easy to use Bitcoin to buy and sell stuff because no questions asked. Right. Whereas uh, in more established financial institutions, um, it, it's more, much more highly regulated. Yeah, they want to know what's going on. They want to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. But to make a long story short, I uh, went to a coin show uh, uh, yesterday. And, um, I mean, everything from Greek and Roman coins, things from uh, before Christ, things going back to uh, Egyptian days, wow. all the way up to current Things that are minted today, mm-hmm. uh, and people just there buying and selling, exchanging currencies. Everything from uh, a bullion of of silver or gold, yeah, big ones you see on TV that are like held in uh, Fort Knox. Uh, there's people that had things like uh, Confederate currency from when the the United States was split, uh, all the way up to um, back when they used to issue. $500 bills, $1,000 bills, yeah. uh, $10,000, $100,000 bills, all of these kind of things, right. certificates, everything having to do with the yeah. exchange of wealth uh, was at yeah. that show. So 
just one of my many, 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 hobbies. many, many hobbies. This so guy's done so much, time. so much different, <laughs> different stuff. Um, I guess like what? Okay, what's what's something else like that you have like a show or something that you've done? That's something that people don't even know exists, right? These obscurities. I like that word. Well, yeah, and I guess I'll back up a little bit yeah. and kind of give people a little bit of, of my background. Um, born and raised in the United States Virgin Islands, like mm. you mentioned, Charlotte or Bali. And most people don't know where the Virgin Islands is. So if you imagine we're in Houston, to go to Florida, it's about a thousand miles. Well, if you keep going another thousand miles, <laughs> you're going to pass places like Cuba, Jamaica, mm-hmm. Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. Puerto Rico. Yep. Then you finally get to the Virgin Islands. Oh, all right, all right. So the island that I was born and raised on is called St. Thomas. Mm-hmm. It's 13 miles long by three miles wide. You can practically wow. see the ocean from anywhere that you're standing because the island is so small. That sounds really nice. And... Um, it, you know, you mentioned when I was in banking and seeing clients, it seemed like I was fairly calm and things wouldn't upset me and stuff like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would, you know, contribute that to my days of the air traffic control. Mm. So as a little kid growing up on the island, like I said, everything was small. Uh, we did have one airport and I can remember, it, you know, very clearly, uh, my dad used to take us to the airport. Yep. To watch the planes take off and land. Wait, just like a, like a, hey guys, we're going to the airport just to. Yeah, we used to go like, and, and sit on the hillside. Like going watch, to the park. Like going to the park and watch <laughs> okay. the planes take off and land. And and for me, that was like, man, that's wow. so incredible. Yeah. And whereas all the other little kids in school were, you know, taught to be a doctor, mm-hmm. a lawyer, you know, whatever, those kind of things. Yep. Yep. I, I wanted to be an air traffic controller. All right. And most people are like, I'm not even sure. Not what sure what that. I was just about to say, what is it? What an air traffic controller does. Okay, here's what it is. At the airport, mm-hmm. there's the runway. Everybody recognizes yep. that. There's usually a tall tower mm-hmm. right there. And inside the tower, there's guys that sit in there yes. and tell the planes where to go and what to do. Right. So you'll know whose turn it is to take off, whose turn it is to land. Yep. And to deal with any emergencies that may have come up. Okay. So as a little kid, I used to see the planes, and I used to think to myself, uh, I don't think I want to fly one. Uh huh. But it's kind of like a remote control plane to yeah. see a plane flying, and to say turn left and watch it turn left, or to tell it turn right and watch it turn right. It was like playing. Yeah. With with um, you know remote control planes and. Uh, when I was in high school, I had a, a phys ed coach that had overheard that I was interested, and in. uh-huh. one of his buddies was a controller. All right, here we so go. He made that phone call. He said, "Hey, I got a kid that's interested. Have him, I'm gonna have him come down and right. visit with you guys." And they would let me sit in the tower and you know watch wow. the planes land and stuff like that. Man, so uh, I was like, "How do I become an air traffic controller?" Mm-hmm. And uh, all of the guys, um, pretty much. You know, we're like, okay, you almost have to go through the military because that's where the planes are. There's not too many private schools. Yeah. There's one called Emory Real Aeronautical Institute. There's another one called Spartan School of Aeronautics. Mm-hmm. But you're going to drop a lot of money right. to get an opportunity to get the training, but you never actually control planes. But mm-hmm. if you join the military, 
then you would actually get so the top. That foot was in. your end. So that was my end. Huh. Okay. And um, so I took the little ASVAB test, which is the little military test to see, you know, your aptitude and stuff like yep. that. And uh, I, I scored highest in my school. Wow. Um, Wait, so did you go to high school in the Virgin Islands? Virgin or Islands, Okay, yeah. okay. So, but the recruiters were there and everything like that. And, you know, they would come and the Army guy would tell you, okay, I'm going to, you know, put you in a tank. You're going to do this. The Navy guy yeah. would come and tell you, I'm going to put you on a sub. You're going to do this. And, and the Air Force guy would promise you this and that. The Marine was like, listen, son, I ain't going to promise you nothing <laughs> other than, you know, three square meals a day and to sleep on. So I already knew I wasn't going to no, the Marine. No, I'm good. But um, the Air Force guy was saying some stuff. He's like, I'm going to be straight with you. We don't have air traffic control openings right now. But if you enlist, something might open up. So it's like, man, do I take this chance Yeah. and, and go for it? So I did, and uh, I, I joined the Air Force. I became uh, an engineering assistant. I little, did a lot of drafting and serving and stuff like that. And then every like week, I used to go down to the, um, there was a, a department where you could change your jobs. And every day, I'm not kidding you, for like three yeah. years, because that's how long enlistment was, I would go down there and I would check and see if any air traffic control positions had opened. And um, none opened up for like three and a half years. Oh. And I, I went on vacation, and lo and behold, the person that worked in the office said, they, somehow they tracked me down. Yeah. Got my phone number uh -huh. at my mom's house in the Virgin Islands. What? To say, airman such and such. Hey, you better come you on. come to my office every week <laughs> for the last three years looking for this stupid wow. air traffic control job. And we never had one. Yes. Two positions just opened up. Wow. You need to come back right now and, yeah. you know, apply for yeah. this to at least get a chance to get in. So Man. I, uh, I mean, I dropped everything I was doing. I ran back. And there was like stacks of paperwork that needed to be filled out. Uh -huh. And to make a long story short, I forged everything. Oh. <laughs> it was impossible to get everything signed and completed and taken around mm -hmm. for everybody that needed to be done and get yeah. it submitted in time. Oh, man. So there was this one general that um, uh, I used to work with. Uh, well, yeah, I used to support him. And... Um, he had made the comment about it's easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to right. ask for permission. And I said, yeah. well, if I ever needed to take this piece of advice, I, I'm going to do it now. I'm going for it. And I went for it. And I said, <laughs> I those people, uh, whatever man. signatures needed to be on there, and I got it in there, and lo and behold, they picked me. I was wow. one of the two people. That was the only way I was going to get in. Uh -huh. So the air traffic control class um, was in Biloxi, Mississippi, and it had... 25 people started in the class. What year was this? This is 1990. 1989, okay. 1990. Um, and I remember that very clearly. Mm -hmm. song, um, Vanilla Ice is Ice. Ice oh. Baby had just come up. Gosh. And that was like the biggest thing. We are spanning generations but, uh, here. Yeah, we are. But um, here I am in this uh, air traffic control class. Mm -hmm. And I started with 25 people. And four months later, there were five of us left. Yeah. Out of 25, only five graduated. Why? I mean, like, why? Like, what happens from when you first start to the end while people will, like, drop off? 
Is it just difficult? Was it like a weeding out process? Like, oh, you didn't make the cut after six weeks or whatever. There's the technical aspect of, of the job mm -hmm. that's very, very challenging to start with. Yeah. And then there's the psychological aspect of the job. One of the things that they would do uh, whenever you're pretending to be an air traffic controller is whenever you made a mistake and accidentally killed somebody, oh. they would pretend like, okay, now we got to go to a funeral. Yeah. And they would make you go and apologize to the next akin for killing them. Wait, like would, in real life? They would make they, they would make a whole pretend scenario. Okay. Of you had to go because they wanted you to feel like how yeah. real this is going right. to be. Because keep in mind, as an air traffic controller, if you do something and you cause a plane to crash, especially a military aircraft, the cheapest ones, man, like maybe ten million dollars, oh. you can't pay that back. Yeah. So yeah. what happens is, if you crash a plane, they don't mind paying out the life insurance money. They care about the plane. And what happens is, um, you cause a $40 million airplane oh. to crash, or if it's a big one, it's like a billion dollar aircraft. Mm -hmm. Their only course of, of action against you right. is usually going to be to put you in jail, which usually happens. Dang. So every day you go to work, you're under oh, the, the stress of, yeah. if I make a mistake, there's no, you know. Sorry about sorry. that. <laughs> no, it's people yes. are dying and I'm going to jail. There's no, like, I'm going to pay for this. Lives are on the line. Yeah, you're going to jail. Wow. And people will die. That is a lot of stress. So now, um, uh, as a controller... It, 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 there was also a saying, mm -hmm. either you're a controller or you're not. Okay. With that being said, mm -hmm. you're not a controller and a good husband. You're not mm. a controller and a college student. You're not a controller yeah. and this. Sacrifice. And a big part of that is that as a controller, you could be 18 years old. And most of us were 25 or less. And you go in there and you have... People with all the rank in the world, right? yeah. I mean, colonels, generals, whatever, and you're multi-million dollar, right. not multi-billion dollar aircraft, and then you are 18, 19, 20, you're saying, you do this, you do that, you yeah. stop, you wait, and if somebody stresses you out, you say, maintain radio silence, and that's just a professional way of saying, shut up. Nice. And if they talk again, you can get their license pulled. Man, I need that, more. I need a, one so, of those buttons. But see, here's the thing. All day long, you're in control. Yes. Because either you're in control or you're not. Yeah. And you're telling everybody what to do. And then you go home and your girlfriend's there or your wife's there. You're like, maintain radio silence. And as oh, soon no, as you're in trouble. to them, like, yeah. When I first came into the tower, all the guys that had been married had been divorced at least once. Dang. At least once. Wow. It, it just demands so much of you. Also, as a controller... You're 18, 19, 20 years old, right? You should be thinking about girls and partying and all this kind of stuff. All you think about Maybe. is airplanes. All you dream about. You have airplanes. You dream about airplanes. For four years in a row, I dreamt about airplanes. 
Like crashing them? Like I hope I don't crash it? Scenarios. You just dream about planes flying around and different things happening. And here's the thing. Like running the game through in your head all the time. It's a very, very, very easy job. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you. I could teach the average idiot how to be a controller (laughs) in 10 minutes. I'm not kidding. Really? I'm not kidding. However... There's also a saying, everybody can work in an ideal situation. Right. It's when you're no longer working in an yes. ideal situation that now things happen. what do you do? And let me give you an example of what's a, not an ideal situation. Hmm. It's a beautiful day like today. Yep. Very it's nice outside. You can see a million miles. Everything's good. And then electricity blinks. And your screens go off. Uh-oh. And you don't know where any other planes are or anybody it's the same thing as me telling you, close your eyes. Uh-huh. Eyes tell closed. Me, okay, close your eyes. Tell me every single thing that's on this table right now. Okay, we got two microphones. They have cords. Mm-hmm. And it goes into uh, an anchor. Okay. And that goes into the laptop. Okay. Uh, for anybody just listening, I have my eyes closed. Okay. And I'm doing this exercise. And what's over here by me? Uh, by you is a water bottle okay. with a uh, a cozy on it. Okay. I don't know what that cozy says though. Okay. What else? Um. Aside from that and the microphone, mm-hmm. there's something else. Okay. Open <laughs> I don't. Your eyes. Oh man. There's a okay. phone. There's a mask. There's two more things on here. I totally just in, in no the world idea. Of air traffic controlling. You did very good. Mm-hmm. However, there's two planes flying around that you don't know where they are. Oh my goodness, I and cannot you don't imagine know what they're doing. That's crazy. I missed and, too much. And you don't know when it's going to happen. So what happens mm. is, if your eyes are open and you ask you to tell me what's on the table, it's easy. Yep, no big deal. But you didn't know I was going to tell you to close your eyes. And I even know. the best backup system. When it kicks off, the computer still takes a certain amount of seconds mm-hmm. to reboot and come back up. But when you have a plane flying seven, eight, nine hundred miles an hour, when you close your eyes yeah. for a couple seconds, it's gone. So what do you do? Like if that did that happen to you? Uh, here's the other thing. Oh, the oh, to most everything is, is in a book. It was called seventy-one ten point sixty-five. These are called your Bible. It has all the answers in there. However, you don't have time to go look yes. for what to do. You got to go. Have, you got to go. You got to go. Yeah. You got to do something. You got to say something. Got to draw it up. And what I was telling you is most people will say air traffic control is a very stressful job. And the reason that it's stressful is because something is going to go wrong. I guarantee you. Something's going to go wrong at least once a day, but you don't know when. And, and what you it's going to be. What it is. Uh. Exactly. So, what happens is, it, 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 imagine a scary movie. Uh-huh. And the guy's walking down the alleyway. It's yep. dark. Yep. And they got that creepy music playing. Uh-huh. You know how you feel like that? Yes. That's how you feel as an air traffic controller. All day. All day. Oh, man. Every day. You're waiting for that monster to jump out. And then, <sighs> after the monster jumps out, then you can relax because right. you know that scary part's already happened. So, you can only give so much of yourself yeah. for so long doing that kind of work because you're just like this, so yeah. tense all the, time, all the time, even though nothing's happening. It's like, hey, 
How's it going today? I'm fine. No, I'm good. I'm good. Don't worry so, about it. You're so stressed. <laughs> When's lunch? Um, and you have to kind of incorporate that into your life. Right. How long did you do that? I, I did it for four years. And then um, you had to get out. I, I chose to get out mm -hmm. because I, I saw that you couldn't do anything else. You have to, you give 99% and somebody's going to die. Wow. Wow. You give 99% and somebody's going to die. Man, I don't even know how to transition okay. there. Um, <laughs> so well, we, it, well, we started from the beginning. Yeah. And right, it, so. But, but what it also tells you mm -hmm. is that you'll hear a lot of people saying, I'm having a bad day, or this is going bad, or that's going bad. Yeah. And, and as controllers, we have a saying, a bad day involves the police, the fire truck, and the ambulance. So if your day isn't touching one of these yep. three, You'll be fine. it's a less than ideal day, but yeah. it's not a bad day. When those show yeah. up, and trust me, I've had days, the police, the fire truck, and the ambulance showed up. Uh -oh. and, and when I say that, I mean like loss of a parent, or a sibling, or a best friend, or your house burned down, or oh, somebody okay. have a heart attack. Regular life stuff. But those are the real bad days in your life. Right. That makes so sense. So in 365 days in a year, you might have two bad days. Hopefully But you'll hear people none. complaining all the time, I'm having a bad day. Right. Because they lost a big account. Or I'm having a bad day because you dropped your cell phone and the screen cracked. Yeah. Listen, the police, the fire truck, and the ambulance don't show up when you lose your cell phone. No, they don't. That's not a bad day. They shouldn't. That's a less than ideal day. Okay. So when you take that... Kind of perspective. perspective that's the word you can usually deal with anything else so yeah. when your car breaks down or when your flight gets whatever overbooked and you stuck in an airport mm. or whenever whatever happens yeah your girlfriend break up with you did the police did the fire truck did that hopefully truck? not <laughs> nope. it's a less than ideal day so how did that get you into doing like these different oddities well, it just opens your mind to a lot of different things. And I, and uh -huh. I think one of the things I admire about uh, you, and I see you have your basketball on the wall, and it has like Chinese writing I'm going to get there, it. Is um, my dad, he, um, he was very involved in sports. Um, he was not a tall or athletic person. Uh -huh. And he recognized from an early age that his love of sports could only take him into like broadcasting or being an official yeah. or whatever. Uh -huh. So he ended up being behind the scenes and he would work with um, uh, athletes from the Virgin Islands mm -hmm. and helping them to qualify for different Olympic events. Nice. And primarily uh, boxing. So what would happen is, say you have a boxer that's a middleweight. Yep. And you want to try to get this guy qualified. Well, you have to take him to all these events. Uh, a lot of times all over the world to get mm -hmm. him, you know, mm -hmm. boxing matches and enough wins so that he can qualify. And a lot of my vision to try different things yeah. is having seen him travel all over the world and come back and say, oh, man, Germany is like this, Switzerland's like this, right. Panama is like this. You know, it, it just opened up your mind because yeah. he would see these things. And you can see when he came home, he was so excited to, to tell us about yeah. it, that, you know, it, it made me want to go out and see and experience, you Absolutely. know, some of what the world had to offer. Yeah. And with that being said, I brought a few things. All right. Because one of the stories 
that I'll share with you was um, in 1984, mm -hmm. the uh, Olympics were held in Los Angeles. Coliseum, and, right? Yes. All right. And in 84 was the last year they had college uh, athletes, uh, I think, playing basketball. Uh -huh. And just so happened some of the athletes on the team were Patrick Ewing, yes. Michael Jordan, uh -huh. Carl Lewis, things like that. Yeah. And they didn't stay in nice, fancy places. They stayed in the dorms. Oh, oh, like and, on campus? And, yep, they stayed in the dorms, the college dorms. Okay. And they had to use the pay phones in the oh, hallways at the dorms. Because it was 1984, there were no cell phones. We got Michael Jordan, like, waiting to use the pay phone. So here's the deal. Funny you should mention that. Oh! Funny you should mention that because I remember one night... My dad called home and he's telling us about how the boxing's been going and all the different people that he's been meeting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he would say, hold on a second. He's like, I'm talking to my wife and my family. Give me a minute. And then he would go back on the phone. He's talking to us, <laughs> talking to us. And then he's like, okay, hold on a second. And he's like, okay, I promise. Two more minutes. Give me I'll a second. Done. Give me a second. Back on the phone again, blah, blah, blah. And he said, this damn Patrick Uniam and, and Michael Jordan boxing. Oh. <laughs> They were one of the kids in line to use wow. the phone, and they kept bothering my dad because they, wow. they wanted to call and use the payphone. Did he know, like, I mean, because, I mean, they were college stars. They weren't like how we you know them now, but were they like, maybe this is me just being young. He, like, what was... Yeah, he was in, this is before Jordan was Jordan. Right. Before Ewan was Yeah, Jordan. yeah. They were just kids on the USA basketball team. Okay. And they were all living in the dorms. Nobody yep. had special security. Nobody had any, um, you know, uh, tennis shoe deals or right. anything like that. All of, no hoopla. That. But, um, yeah, he, they were, he was like, this damn Patrick Union my sister won't leave me alone. I'm here trying to talk to my wife. But okay. So what's in the bag? All right. One of the Look coolest at this. things about the Olympic Village is that you have or the Olympics is you have probably 200 and something countries that come together. Okay, these are pins? These are pins. And wow. what happens is Check not everybody speaks the same language. Mm. So what they do is you'll take a pin and either put it on your shirt or put it on your hat and you sense. walk around. And you might meet somebody from Mongolia. Yeah. And you don't speak whatever Mongolia. Or Ethiopia. Right? Yeah. yeah. So what they would do is you would see the pin that they're wearing. And if uh -huh. you like the pin, they would show each other the pins. Yep. And they would trade. Nice. And they still do that to this day. Wow. So for. They've been doing that for many, many decades. For the people who are not watching on YouTube, I would advise you to go at least check it out. Uh, we have like a. This pin collection from all of these different pins from all over the country in the from the eighty four Olympics. Definitely so, uh check that out. Wow. So like this one's from India with the white elephant on Wow. Let's and get that up in the camera. Let's see if we can. Wow, look at that. That's really cool. And my dad especially liked the boxers. So right. he collect certain pins wow. that the guys had Atlanta, 1996. And it's so funny that you mentioned Atlanta, 96. Uh-huh. Because in addition to the pins, certain people would get medals from the Olympics. Whoa. If you look at that one. Oh, I think it's upside down. Yeah, it was upside 
Is that a silver medal? It says Olympiada, Barcelona, 1992. Mm-hmm. And this one here was from L.A. in 84. This is the one when he what? met Michael Jordan. He's got medals. This one was given to him in Cuba by Fidel Castro. What? Okay, wait. Let's get this in the camera here. You guys got to check this out on YouTube so you can see this historical artifacts. Wow. And more, much more so than, than the actual items is the fact that just keeping your mind open yeah. to the world as a whole and the bigger picture and stuff mm -hmm. so even though keep in mind he also came from that same little island yep. three miles long by 13 miles wide but he knew there was more out there yeah and he wanted to you know just devour everything the world right let me go see i want to go see exactly he wanted to go see he wanted to try he wanted to participate experience he wanted to live life to the fullest and get wow. a little bit out of it and, and I know it's so easy to, uh, maybe next time, or eh, that's so far away, or oh, mm. that's so expensive, or I don't know anybody there, or I might get oh, hurt, man. or I might get COVID. You know, all these excuses on why right. you, you shouldn't live. Man, you know? I got to live. I got to so live life. A, a little bit of me and my exploring all these different things come from, I think, yeah. watching him. You know, be so excited about, you know, it's like, man, where are we going next? Yeah. What's next in store for me? It's moving around. And obviously, because I lived in China, I kind of had that same mentality where it's like, okay, why not? How many people? Why not go? Why are you going there? What do you do? Oh, you man. It's communism. <laughs> like, is it going to be safe? And then when you get there, it's nothing like what you see, like, on TV or in movies. It was just a lot of... Regular people living our regular life, you know, they got school, they go to work, you know, there's pizza shops, you know, there's noodle shops, you know, people buy clothes and shoes just like we do here. Yeah. So uh, things that were really different are different to, I think, how I live in Houston, but they have subways in New York and in Boston and all up the East Coast. Like they have trains in America. So it wasn't so different as a like to how we live here, depending on what part of the country and what city you live in. But I just, I mean, I just wanted to go see something different. And you, you, you embraced it with an open mind. You know, it's like my dad would tell me how at the Olympic Village, he would see somebody wearing a pin and they would exchange pins and strike up a friendship mm -hmm. and spend hours together or maybe even days together or weeks yeah. together for the whole event. And then when uh, you got back, it's like, what did you guys talk about? And he's like, I'm not really sure because I didn't speak their language. What? But, but I knew I could just see this. We person. had something. Yes. Your eyes yep. connect. Your yep. smile connect. Yep. You knew this person's heart was in the right place. And, and you just had the time of your life. Man. And, I mean. On a different note. Okay, go for it. This is real low-key kind of thing. Yeah. But every year since probably the 1940s, mm -hmm. one of the things that the different Olympic uh, committees do is they make sure to disperse lots and lots of condoms. Okay. Believe it or not, 
You have top-ranked female athletes, top-ranked male. Oh, okay. And they're together in the village. Yep. It's a very common thing that nobody ever talks about. I did not think of that. And they never talk about it. In your welcome package and everything that you get, they always include some for you. That reminds me of like... Because people are people. I mean, it reminds me of when LeVar Ball, you remember when he was mm-hmm. said when he was looking for a wife and to have his kids, he was like, I need somebody that's tall. I need somebody that's athletic. And he went and found that person because he had a specific thing in mind that he wanted for his kids, whether they were boys or yeah. girls, or he said he was going to have all boys and he did. Mm-hmm. But he was looking for that specific thing. So who's to say yeah. that these people, when they go to the Olympics, because these are the best in the world, best in athletes world. in the world. You're never going to be in better or top physical condition than you are right now. And like I say, not everybody speaks the same language, yep. but there is an attraction, mm-hmm. you know, between male and female that's mm-hmm. human nature. Mm-hmm. And hey, they're all adults. Yep. And anything can happen. That very interesting. <laughs> that, that little piece, and and they don't want to put, you know. You coming from, you know, Laos or from whatever other uh-huh. country, Uzbekistan, you don't know to find your way to the convenience store to get what you need to yeah, come yeah, back yeah. to, you know, meet whatever. So they always, out of convenience, will include some of that for you. But that's one of like, those Here's a nice care package. <laughs> one of those we don't talk about things in addition to the pins that they get. But hey, we're wow. all human. Okay, so I was having this conversation. Conversation, right? Story time. And my next number here. I know I hadn't done a number. We've done a ton oh, of yeah, stuff. We, we did 1996, 1992. Those are numbers, okay? Give me some credit here. 84. And so my number here is like 14 or 15 years old. That's the number, okay? Because I was having this conversation with one of my students. And this student was so mature, like beyond their years, right? I'm not going to say any names. Like, you know who you are. And we just had this conversation over lunch where we were talking about, like, uh, just how I grew up and just life. And we were talking about how, like, how the generations are so different. And so she was talking about, like, her dad and the things that they had to go through. And this girl had been through some traumatic experiences. And she was kind of saying it without saying it. Um, But uh, I was just thinking about, like, you have this conversation with this one kid and then I have another person that I was talking to around the same age and they were just from completely different planets as far as maturity this I mean this one could have been a fifth grader this one could have been you know a a sophomore in college just the way that they think same age both freshmen in high school how do you think that happens Cause you, I mean, you are well uh, experienced, seasoned young man yourself. <laughs> so I was just thinking about like, how do you have one person here? And I know it's the experiences, but just from you being around, you know, what? How do you think that happens? I don't. When I left um, home in the Virgin Islands, mm-hmm. um, I, I knew what I thought was enough to survive Mm -hmm. in the world. Um, I was 18 years old and I had $300. 
I see. And a job, going to basic training in the, in the Air Force. And I didn't see a problem with it. I didn't know right. what I didn't know. Yep. So here I am getting ready to get on the plane. My mom and dad had that look on their face. Now my baby. And you think she was, and, and I was like, hey. Uh, hey, hey, let's go do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think now it's like if my baby was 18 years old with mm. $300, she ain't going nowhere. Right. There's no way you'd let your kid yeah. venture out 2,000 miles away with $300. We got to have a better plan. I, I didn't know what I didn't know, but what I did know is that they instilled in me certain values mm. and a certain work ethic and a certain drive to succeed. Yeah. And also to treat people fairly and the same and to not right, judge right. them. Yeah, yeah. You know? So even though I had certain people um, that went before me that would say things like, oh, man, you're going to Texas. That's in the South. It's going to be racist. Yeah. You know. Watch your and back. And after Texas, my first assignment was in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So everybody's like, oh, man, it's going to be a real racist Here in Oklahoma. Here we go. Yeah. Or even when I went to Mississippi for air traffic control training, everybody's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're definitely not coming back. (laughs) You'll be back soon. You're doomed. You're going to be in the middle of racism and this and that. And I'll tell you two stories. Okay. Um, I've experienced uh, racism twice in my life. Okay. I was actually going to say, well, did you? Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Incident number one. Uh, I was in Oklahoma. um, And... This is in the 80s. I was still in the mm-hmm. military at the time. Um, and we used to drive around on Saturdays looking for black people. I'm not kidding. We Makes used to drive around because there were no dang. black clubs. There was no nothing. <laughs> it was just spattered in between. And we'd like try to find some R&B music or some rap or right. anything that we could have fun because we're young and, you know. And there wasn't a whole lot, but at the University of Oklahoma, they had a place called the BPU, the Black People's Union. Okay. And they would have parties every so often. All right. So one day we went to a party and had a good time. And it was probably four of us in the car. And we're driving back, long road, dark road. Oh, man. Not a lot of lights. We got a flat tire. Uh-oh. My car passed like maybe once every 30 minutes. So here we are on the road. This is classic, like, yeah, scary movie yeah. stuff. So here it is. Here comes the pickup truck, and it pulled up right behind us and stopped. Ah, oh, crap. And a bunch of white guys got out of the truck, came over and looked at us, looked at our tire, went back to the bed of their truck, got a crowbar and a spare tire, came over, jacked our car up, changed the tire, and said, you guys be safe. Wait, these were white guys? Yes. And we drove the rest of the way home. Nobody said a thing. And we said to ourselves afterwards, if we were the ones driving home, and we saw some white guys in the truck Mm. on the side of the street, would we have stopped to help them? Probably not. The answer is no. We were the ones being racist. What? We Twist. We were the ones being racist. We would not have helped them. Huh. Not because they didn't need help. But because of all of our stereotypes and everything, yes. we wouldn't have. We use the word perspective. 
earlier. Racist event number two. Okay. This Again, I'm in Oklahoma. Oklahoma's not a racist place, but I was in Oklahoma. <laughs> so now I'm in the military, and there was a guy named Guy Bluford. He was the first black astronaut. Nice. And they told us, guess what, guys? Guy Bluford, first black astronaut. He's coming to Tinker. He's going to give a big speech. We want to have a great turnout. Yes. Everybody come sign up. Let's all register so we're going to go to this event, have a good time. About two weeks before the event, they're like, hey, guys, did we mention that the first black astronaut's coming and he's going to be giving some speeches? Yeah. We need a lot of people to sign up. Come on. And, um... Then about a week before the event. Hey, guys. They're like, he's coming. Okay, now. And he's coming. They specifically come around to all the black soldiers and stuff. like. And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, now. Yeah. Y'all don't make us look stupid. Right. Y'all better Y'all show better up. come see the first black astronaut. This is important. And they were like, matter of fact, y'all ain't got, you're not going anywhere Saturday or Sunday. Yes. You those days you were, that you were off, you're not off. So now we're all pissed off. We're like, man, I don't want to go see this sellout. There's only kind of blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the only reason he's there because they put him there and this and that. And we're like, they're forcing us to go to see him. I don't want to see him, you know. Mm-hmm. So I got dressed. I went. I was pissed. Uh-huh. I gotta go see the first black astronaut. Who cares? Who cares? Guy walked in. And we're in a room full with politicians, generals, colonels, fighter pilots. I mean, big, heavy Big hitters. time people. And he walked up and quietly started talking. And the room was silent. Everybody was hanging on every word mm. he said. This guy was so intelligent. Wow. He was not the first black astronaut because... It was time for the first black astronaut. He was there because he was that good. Yeah. Some of the things he talked about was in the space shuttle. You see what it looks like. It looks like a plane. Right. right. We see it on TV, on the movies. And an airplane flies like this. Mm -hmm. Right. But the space shuttle flies upside down. And the reason Hmm. the space shuttle flies upside down is because you're going around the earth. And if you're right side up, you, you can't, can't see, see it. it. But if you're upside down, you can. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So everybody's like, whoa. Ooh. My mind is blown. <laughs> the next thing he talked mm-hmm. about is how it doesn't fly right side up. It flies upside down. Uh-huh. It also flies backwards. And the reason it's flying backwards is because if there's space debris out in the air... And it hits something. You don't want it to hit your windshield and potentially you kill you. You want it to hit the wow. back where it's not going to hurt anything. That's not even something that we would even think about as no, regular people. But these are the things that he helped solve. Uh-huh. And let's, let's talk about how fast the space shuttle fly. Okay. The fastest plane that we have is called the SR-71. Okay. It's a jet that can fly Mach 3, which is three times the speed of sound. That's fast. Let me tell you how fast that is. It's so fast that if you put a gun on the SR-71 and fire it, the plane passes the bullet. Oh, my. That sounds like That's a how fast movie stuff. Mach 3 is. And this is real. 
The space shuttle flies not Mach 3, Mach 25. What? 25? Okay. That doesn't even make when, sense. When you're flying Mach 25, everybody on the shuttle has to decide when they're going to go to sleep. Because they all have to go to sleep at the same time. Now, let me tell you why. Because every 30 minutes, the light comes on, the light goes off. The light mm. comes on, the light goes off. That's you going around the Earth every 30, 30 minutes. 30 minutes? Dang. And that's the sun coming up, the sun going down. The sun coming up, the sun going down. Whoa. And it's not like that so, on the movies. So everybody has to decide you're going to go to sleep at the same time mm. to close the blinds. Also, to go to sleep, all you do is you take your shoelace and you tie it to something so you don't float away. Yeah. You tie your shoelace <laughs> to anything that's nearby, wherever you are, just tie your shoelace and just relax and float and go to sleep. That sounds cool. Also, in space, and people say you don't stay in space very long. And one of the reasons why you don't stay in space very long is not that they can't pump enough oxygen to sustain you or whatever, mm -hmm. but a big part of it is, like here in, on Earth, dust settles. So if you do like this, you'll get dust, right? Yep. But in space, dust doesn't settle. It's just all over the it place. It floats. So what happens is if somebody just ate toast, <laughs> it's floating around. Ah, that's You comb your hair and there's dandruff or skin flakes fall off. Day number one, day number two, everything's perfect. Day number 30, as you're, it's floating around. As uh. you're breathing, you're seeing it going in your mouth. And out. Oh, that sounds and so nasty. Crazy. Even with the filtration systems, as best that you can do, some still gets out. It's just time to go home. So, needless to say, mm. we're sitting there listening to the first black astronaut say all these things. Yep. And when he's done, no mic drop needed. Wow. So, I didn't even know what to do. I wrote him a letter. I said, man, I thought you were a sellout. Mm. I thought you were all these things. He wrote me back. Really? Sent me an autograph picture. Sent wow. me a letter. Sent me some patches. You didn't even want to go. Sent me some patches. Wow. I was being racist to him. Mm. Because I assumed he was a sellout. And you know what? The way he kind of approached me was... It's okay. You're not the first black person that was racist to me. Wow. That's terrible. But you know what? I'm here to tell the story. Yes. Don't be racist out there, even against your own people. Or against yourself sometimes. Sometimes there you, go. you think you shouldn't be there because of right. you know, your skin color yeah. or your education. I don't or belong. Whatever. You belong wherever you feel you belong. Yes. When I see you, it's like, man, he's got like this. It's just interesting, intriguing, because you have all these different kind of stories. And you said, I'm going to tell you two racist stories. Who would have thought it was about you being a racist person? Yeah. So, like, the people out there, right, listening to the Living Numbers podcast with your host, Tony Rambles, and my wonderful guest and friend, Rico, try to try, right, try to have some perspective, Try to look inward and try to be understanding and try to figure out who you are. That man in the mirror. The man in the mirror. Like, you got to kind of know what you don't know. I remember getting into, into uh, teaching in the interview. 
they said, what do you think your biggest hurdle is going to be? And I said, I've never been a teacher before in the classroom. Like, so I don't, I don't know what that looks like yet. And, but I can tell you one thing, like, I'm going to work hard. I'm great with people and I can communicate. So if I have those things, like, I'll be a great teacher. Just like if, like I said, my dad didn't even speak to, didn't even know the yeah. language the guy was speaking. Yeah. And they struck up a great friendship. Yep. I mean, that's people skills. I think that, and we're going to talk about some generations here, right? Because well, I feel about people skills, I would say, because you take two kids from anywhere in the world mm-hmm. and put them down, they will play. Yes. They haven't learned to judge people. Mm-hmm. They haven't ju- learned to judge you know, their sex, their color, their income level, their education. They haven't learned to judge. All they know is, I want to play, and you're available to play with me. But, but what if we get older, you meet somebody, instantly you start looking them up and down, trying yep. to figure out sizing them up. And whether or not this is somebody that's acceptable for you to play with. But if you give both of those kids iPads, they're not playing together. It's a different, different type of different time that we live in. And I, I wrote down here, it's the art of being social. Like, is that getting lost? I would say it cannot be lost because... Mm-hmm. Uh, as a human creature, yes, we're social by nature. Agreed. Um, a lot of times, uh, matter of fact, my you know show that I went to the money show mm-hmm. was out in Conroe, and yep. I was telling my wife yesterday that um, yeah, after I left Conroe, I went by Cut and Shoot, I went by Splendor, and I went by New Caney. Yeah, and that's very isolated out there. You see all the houses are very far apart from mm-hmm, one another. Mm-hmm. We have learned certain skills to make ourselves to a certain extent self-sufficient to yes. a certain extent, but we are social creatures that, you know, we may gather our people in our little family and then try to separate, but you, nobody wants to be alone. And even people in prison, they would rather go into general, general pop where they can get stabbed than to be <laughs> in a cell by themselves. Isolated. How, how is that? Why would people rather be in general population where it's much more dangerous than, than in isolation? Because, because inherently, we are social creatures. We need each now, other. Now, we probably could learn how to play better together. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Just, and, and not pick sides so quickly and so easily. Mm. Try to be more understanding. Like, okay, I don't have to agree, uh, but respect it and try to understand it. But it's it's not about agreeing. It's about just being able to there's, yeah, there's be another a, person beside another person. There's a reason that Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all these things, and, and even the dating websites are there because people want to belong. They want oh, to be man. together. And there, there will always be a format for that. You know, you, you can go back 100 years to the first phone books to how you can, how can you contact me? How can you stay in contact? You know, yeah. it wasn't just yellow pages selling right. stuff. It was a lot of people putting their phone number there. So their friends and family and old yeah. classmates can come. Oh, let me look there. up John. He's here. Yeah. 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 What are some things that were a lot less than they are now? Like when you were growing up, like gas and like milk is another one that I remember wasn't nearly I, I, as much. I'm not, gonna touch on the commodities because just people, just whatever yeah i would say people like you like me 
in that a young person willing to venture out and take chances and fail and pick themselves up and try again and fail and pick themselves up and try again and fail. Mm. It's so easy to say, I will remain on my parents' insurance till I'm 26. <laughs> I will live in my parents' house until I'm whatever age. Um, I'll put up and tolerate with whatever. Uh, and don't get me wrong, there's lots of great people out there, but man, the number of people that have accepted that as the norm to um, it's okay not to commit to a person and uh, marry them. Yeah, yeah. The number of people that are okay with not being that good parent that they should be to the child or to the children. Um, so I would say patience on one end is one thing that's really gone away and then a lot of the commitment piece mm -hmm. um people are, are, are much more like i'm young i don't want to give up this or that so right i'm gonna go this route instead or, or the, go that route the word that's coming to mind is sacrifice yeah and, and you willingness sacrifice. yeah you to do. sacrifice you know and and man let me tell you i've i've traveled a lot of the world mm -hmm. i've met a lot of cool people i've done a lot of cool things yeah I've had a lot of failures and a lot of sacrifice, you know. Um, to this day, without going into too much, my net worth is over a million dollars. That deserves a hand clap. But if I see a nickel on the ground, I still will pick yeah, it up. Yeah, I want that nickel. Or a penny. I still will pick it up. Mm -hmm. Why is because, that? Because there's value there. Yep. But, the million dollars isn't a million dollars that only came from this or only came from that. Right. Every penny that I picked up helped me to get there. Mm -hmm. Just like every friendship that I built yes. helped me to get to that next point. Yes. So. In every book. Every book six. That, I've, that I've read, every book that I've written takes me to the next one. And, you know, I'm, I'm working on number seven right now and I'm helping Three other people write their books. So they wow. Their Get out of here. Yeah, yeah. I remember, like, The Rescuing Virgins. That was the one I was, was like, one, yeah. hey, like, that's that's so cool. Yeah, just, just put out a story about that uh, recently. And The Rescuing Virgin is just a story about athletes from the Virgin Islands that mm -hmm. have gone on to do big things. Yep. And 2021 was a pretty big year for uh, people in the Virgin Islands. Because Tim Duncan was uh, inducted Hall of into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. uh, Milt Newton yep. was uh, the GM for the Milwaukee Bucks that won the Got championship. A chip. Uh, there's a basketball player, a guy named uh, Raja Bell. Yes. To, um, play Phoenix. Phoenix and stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, he uh, is now um, like a, a talk show host, for, uh, an NBA talk show host. Uh -huh, uh -huh. We have um, I know uh, you, I David Vanderpool. Yes. Coach now. Remember, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Come on, man. You, you know you did that on purpose. And then we got uh, four young guys in the league right now with Virgin Islands ancestry. Uh, Kemba Walker. Kemba. Um, uh, John Collins yep. with Atlanta. Hawks. Good players. Uh, you have, uh, uh, Nick Claxton. You have Nick Claxton with Brooklyn. And mm -hmm. then you have uh, Royce O'Neal. Royce O'Neal. Yeah. 
So um, even though the island's only you know it's this big, it's only this big, but 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 we produce a lot of great people doing a lot of great things, and um, you know, uh, hopefully I can help sing their praises so that you know mm-hmm. people can uh, appreciate what we have contributed uh, to the world as a whole. I want to ask this: How did you like get into uh, writing, becoming an author? Um. The very first book that I wrote, um, and I don't include that in my credits, um, was a book about my family history. And it started in that I was researching my ancestry. You know, people look at me and they're like, where are you from? You you don't look black. You don't look Hispanic. You know, what's going on here? You know, and after a while, you start asking yourself, you know, where am am I from? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so... Uh, you start by you ask your mom and your dad, okay, tell me they don't, who they are don't know we? Much. Where are we from? And they'll tell you the little bit they know. And um, my grandparents have passed, so it's unfortunately too late to ask them questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but all I knew, my grandfather's name was grandfather. I, you I didn't never, know his real I, name. I, I didn't <laughs> know his real name initially. Granddaddy. And um, but then in digging. You learn mm-hmm. his name, you learn a cool story, you yep. some more, you learn a cool name, you learn a cool yep. story. So that uh, I was, I've been able to trace my ancestry on my mother and my father's side of the family. My dad back to the early 1700s, and on my mom's side to about 1810. And uh, so both of those go back, you know, to... A couple hundred the, years. Yeah, and they go back to the days of slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a, a story for another day. But um, in, in talking with um, my mom, just to give you a little bit of insight. All right. One of the things she would tell us is, yeah, your cousin Julia, she, she likes to be on TV. I was like, what do you mean she likes on to TV? be on TV? And then I you know, asked her about it another time. And she said, yeah, that's your cousin Julia. She likes to be, you know, in parades. I was like, well, what is Not that? Julia Roberts. No, Julia Wallace. I was like, what is that? <laughs> And then one day I was, you know, Googling her name, looking for some stuff, and I saw the 1975 Miss Universe pageant. Whoa. And it had Julia Wallace, and she was a contestant in the 1975 Miss Universe. So I went to my mom, and I was like, what is this? Yes. And she said, I told you she likes to be on TV. Like, oh, <laughs> man, that's, just, just you left <laughs> the whole big part yeah. out of it. So, so, but, but then same kind of thing on my yeah. dad's side of the mm-hmm. family because we had uh, we had a hurricane come through the islands and mess up a bunch of stuff and my my folks had some it's, all the stuff was out drying out after the storm and I remember going through looking for some of my stuff because you know I don't want my stuff messed up yeah and I found a booklet and it said the legislature history of the legislature of the Virgin Islands and I'm flipping through the thing. And there was a page, and it said, Conrad Canero, first president of the legislature. What? And I went to it, and I said, Who, who's this guy? Yeah. And they said, oh, that's your great-grandfather. Didn't you know? How was I supposed to know? How was I supposed to? And then <laughs> I digging through the thing, and I found another piece of paper, and it said, Francisco Canero, youngest ever attorney general. And I went and I asked them. Who is this? This guy. They said, oh, that's your grandfather's brother. That's your great-uncle. Didn't you know? I'm like, no, I didn't know. And I wow. made me think, how many more stories are Rich. out there that the, they just assume you know? 
No, I don't know anything. I don't know anything. But I took it and, and I started collecting all this stuff. And then I had like a huge stack of yeah. stuff that I found. But you can't walk around with that. No. So I said, I have to consolidate this into something that people can digest. Yes. And it turned into a book. The first one. The first one. Wow. And then from there, I found another story that hadn't been told. I said, okay, well, I'll tell this story. And then another story that I thought I could do. And yeah. basically, if there's a story, you know, from my past or that, you know, I know stuff about that I feel hasn't been told before and I can do a good job of telling it, yep. I'll toss my hat in the ring and, and go for it. Yeah. And see. And and to this day, it, you know, made uh, six stories that I put out there. Um, they say the average book is successful if it's sold uh, a thousand copies. Okay. And and I have some of my books that have sold over three thousand copies. Nice. So you know, I, hopefully that's a sign that I'm doing something right. Yeah. I mean, I I have a podcast, you know, and there you, go. you know how many people is listening. You go, okay, well, let me see the views here, and let me see the plays. Do I got any downloads, subscribers? And I I think I've said this a ton of times is. I just want to continue to put out good episodes. There you go. Keep putting out good content. You know, keep sharing. Keep telling people about it. You know, all the shameless plugs. Like, keep giving them. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just ask, like, hey, you know, is it okay if I if I plug my content here? Or, you know, if I talk about my podcast? And if you've garnered enough favor with whatever circle or wherever you may be, and they, yeah, yeah, we like you. Go ahead and plug it. You know, go tell people about it. And so, uh, yeah, I'm sure, like, as you continue to write these books, it's just like, I just want to keep writing good books. I want to t- keep telling good stories. Telling good stories. Man, wow. I mean, I I do. Did you ever go back to school, like, um, like to get a master's or anything? Let me tell you. When I was in school, uh, when I was in the military, they said, okay, if we have the whole GI Bill thing. So when you get out, they give you like $10,000 to go to college. Or mm-hmm, whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When I was in the military, I was going to school. So imagine this. I was an air traffic controller in the tower. It was, the tower is 120 feet up, and it sways back and forth because of oh, the wind, no. right? Yeah. And you're up there. It's nighttime. And to protect your, your night vision, you have to turn off all the lights. So I'm sitting in the dark. Trying to study. Yes. But wait. Okay. I worked the midnight to 8 o'clock shift. So it was night the so entire I'm time. So I'm there, 12, 1, Ugh. 2, 3, 4. When you're supposed and, to be asleep, that's sleep and, time. And I have a, a little flashlight because the other guys are there. Nobody wants to mess up their, their night vision. So I'm up there doing calculus or doing mm. math or doing history or doing yeah. whatever in the tower. And it's rocking back and forth. And I'm like this. Trying to stay awake. So while I was in the military, I was going to school. So I was able to get three associate degrees. I got uh, associates in uh, liberal arts, one in construction technology, and one in airway sciences. And then I decided I took as many classes as I could, and I wanted to finish my bachelor's, but I couldn't commute all the way from the base to University of Oklahoma. Right. So I had to take that leap of faith and say, I, I, I'm done. I got to go and yeah, finish. Yeah. So I went and I finished. I got a double major. So I got uh, marketing and management. Mm -hmm. Then I got into, I did retail for like five years, managed Target, Hobby Lobby, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And all the while, I was always good with 
the money part, right? The cash office and dealing with the tellers and stuff. So people are like, man, you're really good at it. You know, maybe you should, you know, start helping people manage money. But I would always see TV and see the little ticker symbols go by and never know what they mean. Like the NASDAQ and all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, the NASDAQ, the Dow, the S&P 500. Okay, I okay yeah, what whatever. I mean. And I was like, <laughs> if I'm going to be good at this, I need to learn that. I need to be good at it. So I, I went and I talked to some people and they're like, there's no school for it. To learn it, you have to be in the industry. Right. So that's where I ended up going and getting my Series 7, all my investment licenses and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So... By the time I was ready to get my master's, I was already like so overly educated. Cause think about it, between air traffic control school, man, and getting three associates and two bachelors, right? My Series Seven investment, I have so many licenses. Yes, that I was like, for what? What am I going to get a master's for? You know. Mm-hmm. I'm already employable. Yeah. I'm already educated. Yep. All a master is going to do is going to make somebody else feel a certain yes. way about me. You already have and, all of this experience as well that goes yeah. along with it. And I have this same kind of conversation when I talk to people because because um, we talk about, you know, me being an author and a historian. And it, it's funny because all the other historians and authors that I work with, all of them either have their masters or their PhDs. PhDs. Yep. Matter of fact, most of the other um, uh, historians are all professors in, in the university, mm-hmm. uh, the Virgin Islands, or different schools and stuff around. And it's so funny because you know they view me as their equal, and I don't need them to look at me yeah. as equal or less. I know how good I am. Right. Just, hey, put me on the stage with everybody and we'll see who, you know, yeah. see how it shakes out. And, and, and I tell people, you know, because I've worked with a lot of people in the banking industry and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I tell them the, the one thing that I feel most confident about is that I can have pretty much any conversation with anybody at any time. I truly There's believe that one. very few people that will sit down at a table with me and I'll feel overwhelmed and can't talk to you. Right. Man. Matter of fact, usually when I sit down at a table and like, especially like when me and my wife go on cruises and stuff. Yeah. They, you're in these groups and they're at a table with like eight or ten people uh-huh. and you're meeting each other and stuff like that. Almost always. And my wife has said, watch, everybody's going to want to talk to you. You're going to be holding court. Everybody's going to want to talk to you. Yep. It yep. never fails. I believe it. It never fails. And whether the topic is about, you know, race relations mm-hmm. or people relations or history or whatever, or money, don't let it get to money because if it gets to money, then, oh, man. then I own it. All bets are off. But, you know, normally the doctors will sit there quietly. The attorneys will sit there quietly. Yeah. The politicians will sit there quietly. And yeah. they want to hear what I have to say. Wow. And my biggest thing is, you know, I got as far as I have, not by talking, but, you know, by listening and learning. Wow. And and I need to, as much as I talk to you today, mm-hmm. now I need to go talk to other people yeah. and fill back up. Right, right, right. And have more things to talk and share yeah, about. Yeah, definitely. Sometimes you'll meet people, you'll see guys and girls who go on dates, and that first date, he's 
filter everything. Everything. And that, that's all he got. That's it. He ain't got I'm, nothing I'm else. I'm out. I mean, if, if you're not doing anything, then you don't have anything to talk about. I mean, that's another thing that uh, a friend and Pastor Carlos, he was on episode 30. I mean, he said that years ago, like the people who aren't doing much, they're just kind of, you know, OK, your yeah, life's good. You know, I'm doing all right. You know, but after that, they don't have much or they, they maybe can talk about work. But yeah. that's all they do is they yeah. go to work. And then, you know, maybe if they have kids, but I'm always looking like, cause people have like asked me, you know, how are things going? And for me, that's almost a loaded question. I'm like, well, (laughs) my son is seven months, you know, I got a podcast to record. I got this person coming on, you know, I got to find some stuff to talk about there or, uh, you know, we got a game today or, Mm -hmm. or in the classroom, this is what I'm doing. So it's always like some things and we haven't even talked about church and all the stuff that we do there and the events that we put on and I got guitars back here so it's almost like I have this full life of stuff that I'm doing and it's all stuff that I want to do yeah I chose to be a teacher I chose to be a coach I chose to have a podcast I chose to have a son I chose all of these things and you know sometimes it's just like I'm tired but it's not like because I I have all the stuff that I don't want to do. Yeah. It's all of these things. My life is full of stuff, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, I know. I know. Man, I'm, I'm trying to plan a trip where I go to Wyoming to dig dinosaur fossils. Oh, my goodness. Why not? I am not surprised. Why not? Why not? The obscurities, the oddities. Why not? Li- why not? Why not? There is no reason why. Who says you can't dig for fossils? Yeah. Nobody. Well, and now... I'll be waiting on the book when it comes out. <laughs> that is a great place to stop my friend. And I, I guess I could call him, you know, somewhat of a mentor, right? I just, I look up to this guy. He does all these crazy things. I'm like, I could do some crazy stuff too. Uh, but this is the Living Numbers podcast. Episode 33 is in the books. My Grant Hill episode. I got that from my brother, Troy. He was on episode 32. Troy is just like, when me and Troy get together, it kind of heightens my, my energy and my, the crazy things that I might do. So, well, check that one what out. What number did Pittman wear? What was that Larry Bird? Uh, 33, Larry Bird. Okay. But I'm from Detroit. You know, I grew up Grant Hill. You know, I'm, Grant Hill was the man. Uh, so, thank you all for listening. Of course, like, share, download. Uh, make sure you rate five stars, whether it's Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen to. Follow me on Instagram at underscore Tony Rambles underscore. And if you want to communicate with your guest, your host, definitely send me an email. One Tony Rambles at gmail.com. This is the Living Numbers Podcast. And I'm your host signing off. Me and my friend Rico, we're done. See you in the next one.